Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We thank the Lord for another uh, <clears throat> opportunity to look into the Word of God and to see what He has to say to His people. Amen. Let's open uh, our study up with a word of prayer. And Father God, we thank you. We praise you. We magnify you. We give you the glory. Holy Father, we ask, Holy Father, that you go with us once again. In this, our last study in this series, Holy Father, Biblical Beliefs. Holy Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you give us understanding according to your word. Open up our hearts and minds to your word to hear what thus says the Spirit. Holy Father, we thank you for the understanding that you have given us. Holy Father, we thank you for what you have cleared up for us. And we thank you for, Holy Father, what you have made correct according to your word and supported by scripture. Holy Father, we ask tonight, Holy Father, that you let us see, Holy Father, in your word, the perfect plan of God that you have for future events. Holy Father, the special things you have for the church, for the saints, and the world to come. Will we ever mindful to give you the praise, glory, and the honor? In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight we're going to uh, conclude our study of biblical beliefs. And we will be in chapter 12, the coming kingdom. Chapter 12, the coming kingdom. And in this chapter we're going to see some things, and we're going to hear some things uh, that... Uh, we may not have seen before, some things that we may not have heard before. And uh, this will be a chance for us to increase our understanding and increase our learning in the Word of God and in the, uh, the last things to come. And tonight we're going, to, we're going to skip around a little bit so we won't go uh, in the exact order of the page numbers. And I'll let you know which page we're jumping to because we want to uh, try to stay in the order of the things that's going to happen in the future events and then as they pertain to the church and to the saints of God. And so stay with me. And I'm going to name off a lot of scriptures tonight. And so I'm going to ask that you now get a pen and paper so you can write write it down. Write down the scriptures that you may not be able to turn to, but you will want to later return to these scriptures and do a study of your own. Because when studying the Word of God, and especially when studying future events, and when studying um, uh, eschatology, what we're going to look at tonight, we cannot build our theology off of just a couple verses of scripture, but we have to look at all of the scriptures that speak about eschatology and the end of the world and the coming kingdom and put them all together. And that's the mistake that I made earlier when I uh, taught this lesson. Uh, I didn't include some scriptures uh, unknowingly that was left out and I believe that the Lord has given me better understanding tonight and showed me some more scriptures and uh, and opening up my eyes that I can uh, better teach it so I do believe that I'm better prepared tonight to uh, 
open up the scriptures to you. Okay? So tonight we will begin. Chapter 12, page 121. Most books on Christian doctrine conclude with a chapter on eschatology. Eschatology is also known as the study of last things. Eschatology is, after all, an immensely important subject since it deals with some of the most profound issues of human existence. It deals with death, judgment, and the return of Christ. It even speaks to the foundation of our hope as Christians. So this is what we're going to delve into tonight. Eschatology, the study of last things. Last days. Specifically refers to the time between, between Christ's first coming and his second coming, regardless of the actual length of time. And we've been in the last days since, since Jesus came on, 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 on the earth. And we're at the end of the last days, according to the different prophecies and the different things that are taking place in the world. Page 122. We want to look at what is known as glorification, glorification. And this is what is going to happen to the, to the saints. Paul describes this in Philippians 3, verses 20 to 21. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And with these uh, scriptures, we see that there's going to be a transformation, a changing of our bodies, a changing of our physical location because our citizenship, where we really belong as saints, is in heaven. These old bodies are going to be transformed. They're going to be changed. And, and these are lowly, uh, earthly bodies. He's going to change it to be like his glorious body. But before we get there, we got to go through some of these things that we're going to look at. Let's first look at the resurrection. The resurrection. So let's turn... And look at the resurrection. We are going to turn to page 124, but let's take a glance here on page 122. The resurrection. Now, the resurrection has to do with first fruits. Now, first fruits, or another word, is the first of other coming attractions. The first of other coming attractions. And this first fruits, it will be the raising of his body, is the guarantee of our future redemption because Christ was the first fruits of the, from the dead. And now, let's our first scripture. Let's go to First Corinthians fifteen. First Corinthians fifteen. We're going to see where Christ was the first fruit. First Corinthians fifteen, and let's start at verse twenty. I'm going to read down through twenty-three. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. He said, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep or of those who are dead. For, for since by man came death, 
by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and after those who are Christ at his coming. So, Jesus was our example of how to die and to be resurrected. And now when Jesus comes back, we'll be the second fruits. Now, let's also go to 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 16. And we're going to see here where the dead in Christ is going to rise. 1 Thessalonians 4 16. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven. He would descend with a trump, with a shout. Your, your Bible may say trump, but, but with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now this is where when Jesus come back for the uh, 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 enraptured the church, this is when the dead saints will get up and we will be with the dead saints that have gone on, uh, that have uh, went to sleep in the Lord. They will rise up at that time, at the rapture. Now, let's turn to page 124 and finish our discussion on the resurrected body because this has been promised to us. Let's start at the second paragraph. For Christians, Christ's resurrection is the first fruits. To use the Old Testament language, it foreshadowed what was to happen in the future. Now remember, all of these things that we're talking about tonight are future events. They're going to happen. They have not yet happened, but they will happen. Most of Revelations is a future events. So remember that when you're reading the book of Revelation, these things have not yet happened. Even saints before the time of Christ has some sense of this, of this first fruits. When Job said, he said, for I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, Job said, Yet in my flesh I shall see God. He said he knew it then. He didn't have all the theology that we know now, all the, uh, the published Bible, but he knew it then that his body was going to be resurrected. Paul gives us more understanding in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 42. 1 Corinthians 15, and let's start at verse 42 and read through 44. Talking about the resurrection. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in honor. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is also a spiritual body. You see? 
these bodies are going to be changed. They're going to take on a different form. We're not going to take this flesh into heaven. We're not going to carry it into uh, God's glory. But it must be changed in order to endure eternity. In order to be like God, we're going to have to take off this old shell and put on a glorified body that God is going to give his saints. And this this has to take place before we can go into eternity and before we can go into a lot of these future events we're going to see tonight. The Holy Spirit's presence in believers is a down payment of a future miraculous act of raising up bodies. That's what the Holy Spirit is. It's a down payment on the things to come. The things to come. There is yet great things to come. It is with such resurrected bodies that the righteous and the wicked will stand before the Lord and be judged on the final day. The wicked is going to also have a body that will endure eternity as well. But they won't have a glorified body. They'll have a body that can uh, live in eternity, but it won't be one like Christ. We all are going to have eternity. It's just a matter of where we spend it at. Now, we want to look at the first thing that's going to take place on the church calendar. Has not taken place yet, but the first thing that's going to happen is the rapture. And let's turn back to page 123. The first thing that's going to happen is the rapture. And it can happen at any time. Anytime, today, tomorrow, all the prophecies have been fulfilled. All the things have taken place that the scripture says that needs to take place in order for the rapture to happen. And now we're just waiting on the Lord. Page 123. Though the Bible never actually uses the term the term rapture, it uses the term catching away or caught up. But we know it as the rapture. Some Christians believe that it is the time when Christians will be taken out of this world prior to it in the middle of or following a period of tribulation and persecution. And a lot of different Areas where a lot of different theologians disagree and different churches disagree, but we're going to look at tonight what the scripture says. We can't disagree with the scripture, so we're just going to look at what the scripture says. Another facet of evangelical eschatology pertains to the thousand-year reign, also known as the millennium. And we're going to note here the three different types of beliefs that is uh, believed to have dealt and to deal with the millennium period. At first, there's the premillennialist. Now, we as evangelicals or Christians or, or, or the saints of God or most apostolics believe in the premillennialist. We believe in the premillennialist theory. 
And this theory says that Christ will return and establish an earthly thousand year reign. In the meantime, things will go worse and worse in the world leading up to this point. And the premillennials believe that Christ comes before the tribulation and before the millennium. That's the main difference of the premillennialists. They believe that Christ comes before the tribulation and before the millennium. And when they say they believe that Christ comes, they believe that the church will be raptured out. And then you have the post-millennialists and the amillennialists. And those are two different groups of belief. But we believe in the premillennialist. Now, let's go back to the rapture. Now, the rapture, that's a time when the church will be taken out of the world. Will be raptured from the earth, whatever you are doing. If you are saved and a saint of God, you will be, and if you are still alive, you will be raptured out of the world. And will be rescued from the wrath to come upon the world. And you will see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10. Once again, we don't have time to turn to all these scriptures, but I'm going to call them out for you. Will be rescued from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 1 and 10. And the church is now waiting for his coming. And you will see that in 1 Corinthians 1 and 7, Philippians 3, 20 through 21. The main verse of scripture that supports the rapture is 1 Thessalonians. Let's turn to that one. 1 Thessalonians 4. And let's start at 16. Let's, let's, let's go back to verse 14. The first Thessalonians 4, and we're going to start at verse 14. For, <clears throat> for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, see, we're going to be alive, will not precede those who have fallen asleep or who have died. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. And that's the main verses of scripture that supports the rapture to take place. And that's the next thing on the agenda of God for the church is the rapture. You will also find supporting scriptures for the rapture in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 54. Immediately after the rapture, there will be the Bema judgment of believers. The Bema judgment of believers. 
And that's when the saints get to heaven, we're going to be judged. We're not going to be judged about whether or not we made it to heaven because, of course, we'll be in heaven after having been raptured. But believers will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. And it is also known as the Bema seat of Christ. And, and this has, it's a different type of judgment because it's not a judgment that has to do with salvation. But this is a judgment that will have to do with whether or not we, we receive a reward for the works done in the body. After having been saved, what have you done for Christ? Uh, how have you uh, uh, supported the kingdom? How have you uh, uh, furthered the mission of the church? Or what, what was your deeds and what was the your motive? Why did you preach? Why did you teach? Why did you take up offering? Why did you clean the uh, floor? Was it for just to be seen by man? This is what our judgment is going to be based on. And, and we'll, you can see that in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15 and 1 Corinthians 4. Four through five. And that is once again known as the Bema, the judgment of believers. Now, after the rapture, and Christ is taking the saints out of the world, there will be what is known as the tribulation period. This is the second thing to happen on the agenda of God. The tribulation period. This is a period of seven years. Seven years of great tribulation on the earth. It's going to be seven years of some of the worst, the most terrible years known to man. Going through this tribulation period. And how we know it's seven years... uh, well, we can see it in Revelation, but the main uh, scripture that supports the seven-year period is Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. And in this period that Daniel refers to as the tribulation period, during this period, there will be a great Jewish revival. Many Jewish believers that didn't believe in uh, Christ at the beginning will come to know Christ during this tribulation period. Uh, Many will believe on Christ during this tribulation period. And they will be known as the tribulation believers. The ones that come to Christ during this period will be known as the tribulation believers. We that are raptured are not the tribulation believers. So we won't go through the tribulation. We'll be gone. But there is still hope. You know, some used to say, well, if I don't get saved before the rapture, I'll just be saved that during the tribulation. But we, we, we can't bet on that. You can't bet on that. You don't know if you'll live through the tribulation period or even if you'll live up to that period. So, We want every soul to be saved now while they live, now while they breathe, now while they have the activity of their limbs. 
Because not a single day is promised to none of us. The tribulation period will begin, we'll see in Mark, Mark chapter 13. And once again, because the study of last things is all over the Bible, you got to go back and forth to get the whole picture. And sometimes you got to go back and forth several times, like I had to do, to until the Lord opens up a full understanding. Mark chapter 13, verses 7 and 8. This is the beginning of tribulations. He says, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. And those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdoms against kingdoms. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pains. You see, this is merely the beginning of them. But there's so much more to come in these birth pains. So a lot of the things we see on earth now with the different earthquakes and the uh, uh, hurricanes and the different things and the wars... That's the scripture. It's not, it's not just climate change as some will have you to believe. This is the beginning of sorrows. Let's look at Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is also a major chapter that a lot of people that, that does speak about the last times. But you got to be careful with Matthew 24 because Matthew 24 goes back and forth. It speaks about some things that will happen in the, in, in the end times. And then it speaks about some things that's going to happen in the days that the disciples were living. And then Jesus speaks, jumps to uh, a parable. So everything in Matthew 24 is not talking about the end times. But a lot of it is. You can you can start at 15, Matthew 24 and 15, where the scripture says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are in his house. And whoever is in the field must not go back to get his cloak. But woe unto those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. You know, what I just read, that has to do with what's going to happen during the days when the disciples were living. Jesus was telling them about things that was going to happen in Jerusalem that doesn't affect the future events for us today but but he does describe several things here that does take place in the last days let's jump over to verse uh, uh, 22 let's go up to 21 Matthew 24 21 for then there will be a great tribulation such as not been occurred since the beginning of the world until now nor ever will. 
unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, but if possible, even the elect. See, now that is a period that we can be alert to that will take place in the future events for us. And a lot of these things have already began to happen. The tribulations. And, and Jesus said, if, if not for the days being cut short, no, no soul will be saved. That refers to us. So, what I wanted to show you in Matthew 24 was a lot of the different things that takes place in the tribulation period and during that time. Luke 21 verses 20 through 24 also describes the tribulation period. But one of the main things that would take place in the tribulation period, as you know or may have heard, is the terror of the beast and his mark. The mark of the beast the terror, I call it the terror of the beast and his mark. And this is a time when, when the beast will terrorize the world. And don't you know, I used to believe that the beast was the same person as the devil, but he's not. And we're going to see in scripture tonight that he is not the same person. He's a different person from the devil. Let's turn to Revelation 13. Revelation 13. And this is one of the main things that's going to be taking place in the tribulation period. Revelation 13. And let's start at verse 15. Revelation 13 and verse 15. Talking about the beast. And it, will, and it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So during the tri tribulation period, if you don't worship the beast, you're going to be killed. And he causes all, the small and the great and the rich and the poor, and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark. There's his mark. It'll be a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he, and he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark. See? Without that mark. And if you're living in those days, you won't be able to buy, sell, or do any type of economic transaction transaction without the mark. The one who has the mark, he, he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. See, that's going to be the terrifying thing that happens during the tribulation period. 
But we don't want to wait around for none of that. We want to go ahead and accept Christ into our lives so we can get out either by the way of the grave, absent from the body, being present with the Lord, or by the way of the rapture. But we don't want no parts of the tribulation period. And if you are a saint of God and washed in his blood and believe on his name, you won't have no part of that either. Now, now here, here's where I got a little mixed up earlier. And, and But I'm not mixed up no more. The Lord has straightened me out here. Now, after the tribulation period, the next thing that will happen, number three, will be the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ. Let's look at Mark. Mark 13. The second coming of Christ is the next thing that's going to happen immediately after the tribulation period. Mark 13 and verse 24. Now, this is different from the rapture. This is where Jesus is actually going to put his foot down on the earth when he comes back for the second coming. During the rapture, he's just going to be in the clouds, still in the air. He's going to call the saints to himself. But at his second coming, he's coming down to the earth. And he's coming down for battle. Mm-hmm. He's coming down for battle. Mark 13 and 24. Let's read 24 and 25. But in those days, see, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give his light. I used to believe, and it used to be taught us, that this was going to happen during the rapture period. But no, no. This happens at the second coming. The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give his light. And the stars will be falling from heaven. And the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. See? Let's read on. 26. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And let's go down to verse 32. Verse 32 of the same chapter. But of that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. See, nobody knows when. This time is going to happen. Nobody knows when Jesus Christ is coming for this battle. Nobody knows when it's going to take place. He said, not even the angels in heaven. He said, the Son don't know. But only the Father in heaven knows when he's going to send his Son back for his second coming. And you may say, now, how do we know that he's coming back for battle? How do we know that he's coming back for battle? And who is he going to battle at his second coming? Okay, Revelation 19. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 19 through 21. 
Revelation 19, verse 19 through 21. And this battle will be known as the Battle of Armageddon. Some place in the Old Testament calls it the, the Battle of Megiddo. Megiddo, but we call it the Battle of Armageddon in our language. Now, 19 verse 19. It says, look, and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. See, it's going to be the beast and the kings of the earth. Humans are going to be fighting against or trying to fight against the son of God when he comes at his second coming for battle against the beast. Who else is going to be there? On down. Verse verse 20. And the beast was seized. And with him the false prophet. Who performed the signs in his presence. By which he deceived those. Who had received the mark of the beast. And those who worshipped his image. These two. See. See. The false prophet was working with the beast. See? This should be a telltale sign for all false prophets that do all that prophet lying, do all this lying on God, saying God said, God said, God said, and God ain't said nothing. This This false prophet, he's the leader of all false prophets, He's going to be working with the beast and trying to come against the Son of God at his second coming. But look what's going to happen to them. Revelation 19 and 20. Look. And these two, the beast and the false prophet, were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. Verse 21. And the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. See, the beast and the false prophet, see, they're going to be thrown alive into the lake of fire. So they're going to hit the lake of fire before Satan even goes. The beast, I'm repeating myself on purpose here, The beast and the false prophets are going to be first thrown into the lake of fire after the battle of Armageddon. And the kings of the earth that was joining them, they're going to be killed as well. But the kings of the earth and the humans that fight against the Lord they're going to be killed, but they won't be thrown in the lake of fire until later, which we will see. But the beast, the false prophet, they will be thrown into the lake of fire. Now, I also used to be turned around on the fact of where Satan resided what where he was at what he was doing uh 
it used to be taught to some of us that Satan is currently bound in hell. But that's not that's not scripture. Satan is not currently bound in hell. Satan is loose, going to and fro in the earth, seeking whom he may devour. Same way he was when Job was alive, when he the sons of God came to present themselves, and here comes old Slewfoot. Huh? The same way he's been loose. When the Lord told us that that he's an accuser of the brethren. How can he accuse the saints if he's bound in hell? Because he's not bound. But he he's going to and fro and then he's going back packing news to God said trying to accuse this, the brethren, trying to accuse the saints of God. But God is Jesus Christ is our intercessor that sits at the right hand of God constantly making intercession for us in our defense. But here we're going to see what's going to happen to Satan. Revelations 20 and verses 1 through 3. Now this takes place immediately after the battle of Armageddon where the beast and the false prophet had been cast into the lake of fire. And then the Lord is going to turn his sights to Satan. Revelations 20. He said, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the keys of the abyss. Now what's an abyss? An abyss, Webster says an abyss is a great pit or it's a great gulf that cannot be measured. It cannot be measured. And if it cannot be measured, that makes it a bottomless pit. So your Bible may translate the abyss as the bottomless pit. So here it says, The angel came down with the key to the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent, that serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan. See, he has many names. And bound him for a thousand years. Here is when he's bound. Future. For a thousand years. Huh? He bounds him for a thousand years. Look. And threw him into the abyss. And shut it up. And sealed it over him. So that he would not deceive the nations any longer. Until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. See, it's not till then that Satan is going to be bound for a thousand years. Not until then. Okay, now... The fourth thing, after Satan has been bound for a thousand years, the fourth thing on the agenda is the millennial period. The millennium. Or others may say, call it the millennial period. And this is a period of a thousand years of peace. 
which makes sense because Satan is bound for a thousand years. So that's how the world can have peace. And this is when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to reign on earth with his saints for a thousand years of peace. The Old Testament saints are going to be resurrected at this time and also reigned and will also reign during this thousand years. And the bodies of those who did not worship the beast but were killed during the tribulation period, they will also be resurrected during this thousand years of peace and they too will live on the earth during this thousand years of peace with the Lord on the earth. And we see that in Revelations 20, verse 4 through 5. Let's read it. Revelations 24 through 5, it says, Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus. And because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their forehead and on their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. See, the rest of the dead did not come unto life until the thousand years were completed. Now, this is the first resurrection. See? The ones that resisted the enemy during the tribulation period, God's going to re resurrect them. And they're going to live in this wonderful state of peace. <laughs> a thousand years is a long time, y'all. Have you ever thought about how long a thousand years? Of, that's what I said. There's so much on the agenda of God. There's so much on his future calendar that wastes the church. And that waste the saints uh, uh, is packed with events yet to come. So the little 70 or 80 years that we live here on this earth, that's not nothing compared to what is in store for the saints of God. Now, now after the uh, a thousand years of peace, <clears throat> the fifth thing on the agenda of God is the final battle and the great white throne judgment. The fifth thing is one final battle and the great white throne judgment. Remember when we read the scripture where the scripture says Satan was bound for a thousand years but after the thousand years he must be released for a short time? This is that short time where he tries to come up with one last fight against the Lord. He tries one last time. Uh, let's look at Revelation 20, verses 7 through 15. Revelation 20, verse 7 through 15. We're almost done, y'all. Uh, we're almost done. And it says... When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. 
The number of them was like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. See, look, look at that. Surrounded the camps of the saints and the beloved city. Look what happened. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. They didn't even get a chance to fight the second time. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. You see, we well, we call it a final battle, but it really was no battle at all. Because once they came and circled the holy, the, the, the holy city and the, and the beloved city, fire... <laughs> Fire came down from heaven and consumed them. So it was really no battle at all. And that's when Satan was cast into the lake of fire with the false prophet and with the beast. That one last battle he tried to muster, he was totally defeated. And here comes the great white throne judgment. This is the judgment of unbelievers. This is the judgment of all those who die without being saved. They must stand, not at the Bema, but they must stand before the great white throne judgment of God. Let's look at verse verses 11 of Revelation 20. 11 through 15. Then I saw the great white throne and him who sat upon it, whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and the small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and hell were thrown in the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. See? Death and hell thrown into the lake of fire also. Along with any unbelievers, once they were resurrected from the dead, once their bodies got back up out of the grave, they were judged according to their deeds and they were cast into the lake of fire. A lot of people say, well, I don't see how God can be a, 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 such a righteous and holy God and, and cast people in the lake of fire. Well, he has given, gives us time and time and time and time to accept his gift of salvation. But when time runs out, and what we are reading about tonight and what we are learning about, hopefully this will help us 
to live right and to live according to God's word. So we won't be on this side of the scene. But what we're reading tonight, this is no longer the God of grace and mercy. No, no. We're seeing the God of judgment here. We're seeing the other side of him. The great white throne and all of his power and all of his judgment and all of his might. He's judging his people now of what we're here reading. All of these things will come to pass. It's just a matter of time on God's timetable. But God delays because he wishes that no man will perish. He wants everyone to come to him and to be saved. That's, that is his desire. That's what he wants to take place. Let's jump back. Let's jump back onto page 124 in our book. And let's jump jump down to the, that last paragraph on page 124. We want to read, start that last sentence. Though both believer and unbeliever go to intermediate states of blessing and judgment, they both are judged in terms of their professions of faith as well as their works. Christians are rewarded in the afterlife, and the wicked are punished accordingly. Those who die apart from Christ are separated from him and are eventually cast into the lake of fire. His time of offering people the chance to repent and to trust in him will have expired. The same thing you do with the expired milk, expired meat. Once it goes bad or when that when when it reaches the expiration date, you throw it away. You get rid of it. And when when the clock strikes the time on God's timetable for these events to take place, judgment will be waiting. The last thing that takes place on God's agenda will be the coming down of the new heaven and the new earth. And you can see that in Revelation 20 through 22. Talks about different aspects of the new heaven and the new earth in Revelation 20 through chapter 22. It is only then that heaven and earth will join. And we witnessed the new Jerusalem described in Revelations 20 to 22. Creation will be set free from its bondage of decay, and it will be restored to its former glory. The lion will lay down with the lamb, and there will be eternal peace. This is the destiny of the Christian. And the same way Paul said when he was speaking about the uh, rapture, Paul said, so encourage one another with these words. He said, encourage one another with these words. And what we read tonight, we want to encourage one another 
to keep on living for Christ and keep on doing what's right because there's so much more in store than what we see on this earth. And, and I close with this on page 126. Jesus has given his people every tool necessary to be prepared. In the words of the Apostle Paul, he said, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Until then, we pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that the Lord blesses you and that something was said tonight to spark your enthusiasm to dig further, seek more. Read these scriptures. So much so that you understand what's on the agenda of God, what's, 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 what's in the days to come. It'll take a few readings to get your mind wrapped around it. But it's there for the taking. God bless you. Have a good night. Good night.